0: Snap production. G'day, it's Rusty here. This is the second part of my chat with Casey Stoner. When he raced, He always said it straight, and that hasn't changed, but you sense his recent battle with chronic fatigue has been taxing. You'll hear a bit more about that, as well as the incredible winning streak that he enjoyed at Phillip Island in MotoGP, and how he mastered a corner there that now bears his name. You'll enjoy those insights. There's been time to look back on things in post-competitive life, as invariably all athletes do, but you have to admire the conviction... One of the things that often sets winners apart from champions. It almost sounds like you're a little bit philosophical in in later life. I'm not a believer, right? In in um, regret. You make the best decision that you can at the time with what's in front of you, and and if you go into that with with confidence, you've made the right call. But have you sat back and thought about some of this this stuff in post race life? Is that what you what you sort of saying? Um. A lot of people always sort of look
1: back and, you know, there's without a doubt I can go back and do things differently. The way I handled sometimes with the press and the media, the way I handled certain situations, um, I'm still embarrassed about now, especially as I, as I grew a bit older. Um, you're always making mistakes, but I still wouldn't change it okay. because it led me to where I am today. Mm-hmm. I'm still in a position in life that I'm incredibly pleased with and, and could not be more grateful for, you know, the results I managed to, to get. Um, the family and everything that I have now, the situation we're in, it's fantastic. You know, I, I personally can't ask for more. I never dreamt of this. So therefore, um I maybe dreamt of better results, but um of course I'm a realist as well, so I know what's attainable. But yeah, I mean I, I don't sit back and go, Oh, if this happened, I would have been this. If that happened, I would this would have happened. Um, things would have been better. I just think you have to go through these learning learning stages. Um, you know, there's a lot of life left, and I'd rather be ready for the rest of life than have things all come easily to me on a plate, and um, and not have those experiences for later in life.
0: I sense in you because I've known you for some time that you would almost have preferred to have just just ridden, raced, done the competitive thing, and 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 you know, hopefully chalk up the results that you did, but not have to worry about all the other stuff that came with it. That is a byproduct of the place that you were you were playing, but. Uh, Mark Weber often talks about the fact that he he felt that if he had a trusted group of a couple of journalists he could always go to he was he was fine, but it was tough, wasn't it, mate? Because the press were, um, you know, I, I could sense some of the yarns that were written at times. You were acutely aware of what was said, weren't you? And and the either inaccuracy or, or the imbalance in, in some of that stuff.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, like I said, people people take me the wrong way sometimes because I'm more quiet and hold offish rather than, Mm. you know, happy to, to um, let's say play the game and Mm. tell good stories. I'm not a storyteller. Mm. I'll tell you straight down the line how it is or how I see it. Mm. Um, It's my opinion, but, um, but yeah, I'm not a storyteller and unfortunately it doesn't sit well. Mm. You've got to be a showman. You've got to be a storyteller. You've got to play this whole game uh, that I just wasn't willing to do and, I think the same thing if I had a few more people in, a couple more people in my corner in the early years that helped me um, be ready for some of those moments then I'd say my career might have even been longer I wouldn't have been so worn out and um, and put off by the uh, the scene of it basically mm-hmm. but um, but yeah this is the way it is and the way it went so you know we made those mistakes it's maybe things that I'd like to go back and do again is is, um, you know, have the right people in your corner and, and learn in the early years because we went from literally a nobody and nobody ever considered us in one year one champion and being pulled in every direction. So I wasn't ready for that and that, uh, that took a little bit too much and I didn't get a lot of the right advice through that. So I think um, in the early years, it would have been nice just to, just have the right people in our corner.
0: V-Bike in MotoGP that you have a soft spot for in in your heart. Which bike, why, and and tell the audience a bit more about it. I'd say it was my 2012 Honda
1: um, with the tyres that we started the first test with. Um, That was without a doubt the, the most beautiful bike I've ever ridden. It sort of didn't really have a weak point. It was great in the corner speed, great grip, great turning. I had feel with it. Everything was working well, um, but I don't think the rest of the championship liked that. So they went and changed the uh, the allocation of the tyres before the start of the season, and it gave us the worst chatter I've ever experienced in my life. You know, we've got footage where the tyres coming three four inches off the time off the ground, bounce, bounce, um, bounce. bouncing along, and we can't get grip when that's happening. So that sends the electronic system all in a haywire as well, and the guys won't let me run without it. So um, yeah, it was just. When that bike was nice, um, yeah, it was, it was fantastic to ride. Um, around left-hand corners, it was all good. It was only right-hand corners that we had the problem, but most of the tracks in the world are right-hand corners, so we had nothing but issues with it, and it was, um, yeah, it was disappointing because that was, without a doubt, the best bike I ever rode.
0: The listeners from Australia will fondly remember an unbelievable chapter at Phillip Island for you, um, that string of wins that you enjoyed there is there one at the island that stands out for you and why was it such a was it the fact that you were at home you were happy to be home was it the venue because it's a bit of a classic old school joint what was it that that you know resonated so much with you there um
1: The only reason I I like the track so much, I think, because I I didn't race it as much as all my competitors had been there more times than me. I never raced it in Australia before I left. I never saw the place. Um, I love high-speed corners. Uh, I love corners that generally scare most other people. They give me a lot more confidence, especially when I can set the rear out a little bit. Um, I know I can't lose the front then, and I can control the rear through dirt tracks. So... um, Phillip Island was just a great, fast-flowing track with natural, um, natural falls in it. Whereas all the tracks these days seem to be very much computer-generated, and they just do not sit with the land. They just, they don't make the corners in the right spot. They just sort of go, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, we'll design that plonk, and it just, they don't feel natural. They don't feel like a fast-flowing track. Mm. They make some um, unique little designs, let's say. But Phillip Island, Magello, Brno. Uh, even Catalonia, but they've kind of ruined that with that, you know, two new tighter sections. Um, They're really tracks that just flow with the land and have a uniqueness that nobody can ever sort of copy. Um, But Phillip Island was just something special for me. It was nothing to do about being home. Um, I didn't like the added pressure of being home, to be honest. It was one of my most dreaded weekends of the year because the weather plays such a part. It's windy. It's so easy to make a mistake there. It's cold, so... You don't get everything right. You can easily crash and hurt yourself. Um, it's a bit of a dreaded place, you know, especially when the later years, you know, that tarmac had been there for a long time and there wasn't a lot of grip there. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowadays, it's a bit better. But, um, but yeah, it just sat well with me because, you know, like I said, I like the bike moving. I like those faster corners. I like, in some ways, dealing with the wind, uh, especially on those fast corners where it can make you a little bit nervous. Like I said, I could set that rear out. As soon as you set the rear out, the front turns the other way. Therefore, you cannot close the front if it's facing that way. And, um, yeah, we're always able to find a little bit of advantage there. So it was it was a pleasure to
0: ride in the end. In post-race life, they named Turn 3 after you. For people that don't know, it is a super fast left-hander before you come down on the picks to the tight right that people affectionately call Honda Corner. That's probably a really fitting corner for you to be named after then, is it? Yeah, it is
1: actually. Um, How fast were you going through there? Do you remember? So we, um, the quickest I ever went through there uh, was qualifying, so with a heap of grip, which is actually harder to, to get through there because it just wants to push the front. You go downhill. Uh, there's a little uh, flag marshals post there with a tyre wall on the inside and that blocks a little bit of wind on the entry. So you go down through this dip, which basically you lose front end uh, tyre contact when you're going through there. It's fifth gear. Um, And as soon as you come out from the other side of the the flag marshals post, the wind's always coming across, and that's what hits you and wants you to lose the front. So it's always a little nerve-wracking through there. So I always made sure as soon as I got down that little dip, I would try and break the rear straight away so that I couldn't lose the front when the wind hits me. Bit of slide. Bit of slide. Sounds easier than, than doing it because you've got to slide before the corner. You've got to break it a little bit before you get to the corner. Not just most people only see the part where you're sliding out. Mm. I was actually sliding already before we got to the kerb wow. and slide Injustice, through. Like Induce, yeah. yeah. Okay. It was the same in Valencia turn three. Uh, another reason is I don't like braking on the side of a tyre. So when you're going down into Honda Corner, it's always a little bit nerve-wracking because you don't have a lot of temperature on the right-hand side of the tyre. Mm. So you can be going down through... Uh, Turns three, and if you run too wide, you've got to brake on the edge of the tire, bring it back, and then brake with more lean angle again going into the right. So by doing what I did, sliding out, I could slide through and get a nice straight line braking going into turn four. No risk, no way running wide, um, no not as much risk of losing the front end because you're on the side of the tire. Um, so it was all all about keeping it safe for me. Um, but we did it in two thousand eleven. We entered the corner at 265, and at the slowest point of the corner, I cracked the throttle and opened it again, was 258k an hour. Um, we were breaking the rear end to, to get it out. So that's the quickest we ever went through there. I'd say through a race, because I never wanted to spin the tyre too hard. I wanted to save it throughout the race. Uh, we are probably
0: sitting at about 250, I suppose, every lap. That is amazing, and it's it's a really cool description too of how one corner feeds into another, how you had to you were already thinking, placing, doing for turn four before you even kind of got to turn three more or less, yeah? Yeah, it's something that I've I've never really enjoyed. Other riders,
1: especially um, Europeans, they sort of more flowing style sometimes and they're a lot better at coming out of one corner and then braking and then keeping that sort of brake or getting that bike to turn through that, whereas I used to like to trail brake and I never like coming from one side up and over into the other side of the corner. Um, so it was the same for me with turn three in Valencia actually, funnily enough, it's turn three. Um, I used to break the the rear end way before I got to that corner and slide it through that so when I went into the right hand corner which had a cold tire on the right hand side, I was breaking straight so I was more progressive going in. I could delay going in, which means I had less risk of losing the front end with a cold tire. So uh, it was for the exact same reasons. It's not necessarily just for speed, it helps. But it was to um,
0: to make it safer on the right hand side when I went in the corner. Technical, but an art at the same time. <laughs> I, I, I love it. Now you've said Philip Island it has this sort of mixed emotions for you because you've had such great success there, and and yet lots of challenges at the at the place. Let alone all the interest from from Aussies at the time. But it was also where you met your now wife <laughs> too, didn't you? Because family's important to you. I, I I know that, and you you met her there, didn't
1: you? Yes, actually, in um in 2003 we met there the first time. So, um, her brother was um racing in the support classes, and um yeah we saw her around the paddock, and we we met up over the weekend, uh got to know each other a bit, and then in uh, the middle of 2005 we got together. So, uh it was nice, but um her being from Adelaide, and when I came back to Oz, I was normally around the Hunter Valley and um, Port Stephens. It was a little difficult to <laughs> to spend any time. But, uh, yeah, eventually managed to uh, win her over and, um, yeah, haven't looked back, so it's been great. Great
0: stuff. The championship for you, you won one with Ducati, you won with Honda. Um, Obviously, I know you said before you would love to have have won more, but is there there one that was either more hard-fought or one that you savour a bit more, or or are they good for different reasons because of the, the fact that you're on two different bikes? Um.
1: I think I enjoyed a lot more Eleven, mm-hmm. um, mainly for the fact in 2007 there was a lot happening. It was just everything all at once. I was getting pulled in every different direction. Uh, certainly never been the hero of an Italian manufacturer, um, so that was a lot to take in. Um, people didn't like me beating Valentino, so I was getting a lot of abuse. Um, so there was a lot happening from both ends that year. Um, and like I said, I didn't know how to deal with all the media attention coming to me and, and um, I don't think I dealt with that that well. So that championship was more of a relief. Um, going into that season, I only had goals of getting podiums and maybe winning a race if I could just to kind of show Honda that I was worth more than they thought mm. um, because I felt like I was underconsidered, let's say. And so race one. Podium race and won the race. So I was like, "Well, that's that goal's done." <laughs> so let's set some higher ones now. So I set myself realistic goals for that season. Like I said, with if I could get two or three podiums and a, and, and fight for a race win, I'd be happy. Um, but when I came out race one and won the thing, I was like, "Right, let's change these these goals. Let's let's aim a little higher." Um, so then we went out to try and win every race, and so um, we we won I think ten that season. Um, yeah we had a fantastic year I mean I I just couldn't be more thankful I suppose for um for the year we had with the team
0: Your sacrifices we talked about before were were big uh, along the way mate and you were acutely aware of how tough it was for the family I know you've come to really appreciate life now and what you what you have but there were stories mate of of I think your mum recounted one of you looking through the cereal boxes and preferring to use the older ones first to ensure that you didn't sort of waste the newer boxes of cereal. There were awards nights that you went to where you you know, you know had to hurriedly go out and get a suit of some kind because you didn't have one. I mean, it was really touch and go along the way, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, we. Um, I mean, we survived on bare minimum and I think there's not
0: enough people uh, willing to do that these days. Um, would that be the lesson you would, you would you know, perhaps instill in some of the other young riders or maybe even your own kids, for example, about, about making that kind of commitment? If there's one thing I, I strongly believe in is that
1: it's not that you don't deserve to be successful, but you need to go through the hard yards. There needs to be sacrifice. Um, I think not enough people sacrifice their party time um they love drinking or they love something and they love some aspect um there's some sport that they love that's dangerous for the 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 one they're paid to do i don't see enough people sacrificing those things um to further their careers and too many people sit there and go like i'm unlucky You know, I keep getting injured or this happens. It's like, well, you're not putting all the focus into it. Mm. Um, I never drank. I never did anything while I was racing. Mm. Um, Now I'm more than happy to have one. I I did my hard yards, but I made sure that when we were racing through my career, I never did. Um, Anywhere near a race weekend, I never had fish, anything like that, because I I saw too many people get food poisoning, Mm. especially when you're in a location that's nowhere near the bloody ocean. Mm. Um, It still had to travel a long way to get there. So... (laughs) It's just not worth those things and people aren't willing to sacrifice it. Um, I see a lot of guys still doing motocross and I think that's really silly in my opinion Mm. to be doing motocross during a MotoGP season when you're you're road racing and things. It's so easy for something to mess up in motocross. Mm. Um, Even another rider bump you or catch the wrong rut going over a jump, you've fallen from a long way. So easy to mess up and hurt yourself in motocross. It's just not worth it. So do your training elsewhere. You can do dirt track to keep the feel, which is better than motocross anyway. I just too many people want to keep doing this sort of stuff, and they get injured doing it, and kind of go, "I'm unlucky." But it's mm-hmm. like, no, this is, this won't happen if you're not doing it. Mm-hmm. So I don't see enough people sacrificing, um, and that may be what holds them back from finding that last little bit. Um, even when you're training on a mountain bike or a bicycle rein yourself in you don't have to go flat out down the hill mm. you don't have to beat everyone down the hill uh, when you're mountain biking and show off and do a whip and a trick and all this sort of stuff it's those little slip ups that could cost you a championship or cost you a shot at a better ride to then further your career there's so many little steps along the way that people don't realize the sacrifice you got to make and we did with uh, we didn't have any money so yeah basically we always used to go for the oldest cereal the oldest food that we had in the pantry first so that the other stuff would last us and you didn't have to throw away old stuff so um, you know you do things like that you make the little the the small details all that up in the end Um, and I think a few more people need to look at that these days
0: what about injury what's the worst injury in in your time that you can you look back on and kind of wince a little bit which one and and where
1: Um, I would say the worst one was after I already announced my retirement which was Both ankles, one in 2012, one in 2015. Um, They kind of screw my everyday life up now. (laughs) Really? Uh, I can't run anymore. Uh, I can't do really any um, sports that involve my feet and ankles. Can't ski, snowboard, anything like that. There's just literally no power. They're just they're destroyed. My ankles, so um, that gets a little frustrating. Uh, But they are good um, weather barometers. Barometers. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's fantastic. What does it it do? a good eight hours out if there's a storm coming i'll feel it
0: yeah
1: i'll I'll wake up in the morning and i can't walk on my one of my ankles um and i used to just fly me by like oh why is it playing up and then the afternoon it pissed down with rain i'm like yeah okay (laughs) so um yeah they they um they're my little weather channels at the moment so they'll always let me know if there's weather coming crazy
0: Stroke engines do not have an internal oil reservoir and require the owner to mix oil into the fuel at a predetermined ratio, a ratio that no one can ever remember and usually just guesses. If I had a dollar for every time someone at a race meeting or a function or whatever stopped me and and said, why did Casey stop? I try and answer it, and I don't know the answer, but, but I try and answer it on the basis of The young bloke I knew kind of didn't have an adolescence in in many respects. He worked so hard from, you know, whatever it was, age 13 and did some great things. But I felt as though it was a bit of, you know, time to enjoy a bit of life in some respects. But what is the real answer to that? Because people savour the thought of you being back on a bike, you know, maybe going wheel to wheel with a Marquez or something like that. Why did you stop?
1: (laughs) It's accumulation of several things. Mm. Um, like I said, it all started in two thousand and nine. I had I had no interest in stopping mm. um, until my career was that close to being over. Mm. Um, if we didn't find it, that's it. I was going to have to call it quits. That's I bad. couldn't. I couldn't hold on to the bike. Wow. I couldn't ride. I was twenty three, looking at the end of my career
0: that it only lasted a couple of years. So describe that. So you're on the on the bike either in testing or in racing and you knew you could, you could only hold it for X amount of laps. Is that what was happening? I was racing. So for the previous
1: five races, I was I was barely holding onto the bike. Like I could only do a few laps before I was wrecked and I'm literally just riding around using whatever speed I kind of had. I couldn't brake late. I was cramping. I was throwing up in my helmet. I just, I could not ride. Um, so again, all the... the Criticizing started pretty early inside the team and things like that um, I didn't really appreciate it, you know, considering I'm still to this day their only world champion, and we kind of got not abused but um yeah very very harshly criticized for the decisions we were making by taking that few months off to figure out what was wrong, but that was you, the only you, way.
0: you almost welled up a little bit then like is it does it still? hurt you kind of thing
1: oh 100% not so much hurts me but um, it, it keeps me real on um, let's say trusting people less <laughs> um, I'm, I'm a little bit um, critical of everyone now because of that situation and that time like I said I was I was very close and felt part of the family and then within such a short time you literally everything's flipped up upside down and, and, um, and things are very very different after that so from that moment on, I went okay. Um, I'm doing things my way. You know, 2010 didn't work out. We um, we missed the boat with new suspension that came out that was night and day better, but it didn't work with our bike. So um, we really struggled through that year. We were fast, we we're easy podium getters, but we weren't we weren't there to win any races. We just didn't have it um, until later on in that season. Uh, and from that, I said, right, I'm I'm going to try and get my passion back. I'm going to go after the the bike that I've always wanted to ride which was uh, after me to race for Repsol Honda team I had the option to go there and um I thought yeah why the hell not you know I'll get my passion back well less media events something that at Ducati was always very very hard uh, one time I think I did 11 it was either 8 or 11 in a day no between warm-up and race <sighs> at Magello. I had to go and do I don't remember if it was 8 or 11 um VIP villages um, I'm, I'm wrecked it's a stinking hot day we're trying to figure out everything with the engineers I'm trying to spend as much time with them to get everything done and we were just boom 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 um, for ages trying to do that and then try and go out and race and it was just like right the, the ratio is wrong here mm. and going back to why I retired it's another reason my ratio just the ratio was wrong 5% of my job was actually riding and on the bike 95% of my job was off the bike So for me, it's like, well, am I here to ride bikes or am I here to do the rest? And for me, it just, it made no sense. I didn't have any time to ride, uh, didn't have any time to really enjoy bikes. So it became such a job, um, that, yeah, it really, really made my mouth sour basically. And even going to Honda, it never really got my passion back. Um, yeah, just Accumulative of several different things. It's like, well, I'm not here for the money. I'm here to enjoy racing. I'm only doing that 5% of the time. Mm. What the hell am I doing here? So there was no point in me continuing. You know, it's just, it's a long slog, especially now that I think the championship's up to me, 10, 20 races. Mm. Between that, you're going, you're getting flown here, flown there for appearances, all that kind of stuff. Um, you're living out of a suitcase all year long. Um, you never truly get the holiday because you've got to go training. Mm. Uh in between every every little gap you get, you've got to be training to get your fitness levels back up for the next race. Um it's just the the ratio was just all out of whack for me. And considering like I said, I don't enjoy that aspect mm-hmm. and that's all it had become. Um, you know, the racing was the smallest part of it, so it just really left a sour taste in my mouth and there was no reason for me to keep going
0: you would keep a testing role i mean you had so much experience to bring to the table but obviously the the a lot of the competitive element is removed then that that you're so strong at so did the did the testing give you the little bit of sugar you know just nice to go and ride again was that part of it post racing enjoyable What, what was that like i definitely um
1: enjoyed aspects of it um I was a little frustrated when um, when I was testing with Honda at the beginning because probably my least favourite circuit on the calendar between Portugal and um and, Meteggi, and we would go to Meteggi testing all the time with Honda. Um, there's no flag marshals out there. There was maybe five marshals on the whole track. So if something goes wrong and in testing it does um, because of different parts and things like that, you can have a failure. Um, there was no one there to to come pick you up or sort it out if something does does go wrong and these bikes ain't slow Uh, on a slippery dirty track that didn't have any rubber down so realistically you get no good data Mm. because there's no rubber down from other bikes going around the track Uh, it's slippery so you're not able to get the bike to even feel remotely what it would be Mm. on a race weekend Um, it just felt a little bit monotonous after a while so um, we eventually got them to take us to the um, to Sepane which is a lot better, um, which gave us a bit more um, of a feel for for real time. Uh, even if it's after the test, it doesn't matter. As long as you're riding a track that's got rubber down, that actually gives you the right feedback, um, then I felt like I was contributing a little bit more. Um, but I do love working with the engineers. I love that aspect. I love being behind the scenes, and especially without the pressure, it was really nice. Um, but track selection would have been a little better to, to ride some of the um, my favourites, let's say.
0: Sports built on rivalries, right? You had an unbelievable one with, with Valentino. People still talk about Laguna Seca 08 and things like that. But that's 10 years ago. Does, does time soften or simmer things or is he still a guy that just for you, you know, that rivalry will always remain a strong thing? Does it change it for you?
1: I think um, the rivalry disappeared in my my last years of racing anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, a couple of years after that, there wasn't really any rivalry there. Mm-hmm. Um, the rivalry shouldn't have ever started. Valentino's the guy who started the rivalry. He mm-hmm. starts it between anyone who's competitive against him. Mm-hmm. They can be best mates. He can be friendly as hell with you. But as soon as you start beating him, he will just try and rock your world basically because he knows he's got the media and everyone in his back pocket Mm. and he can just use whoever he wants to create problems. So um, he's very, very clever with that and I think in my later years I learned a lot from Valentino and I think I learned a lot from 2008. Um, I don't think I would go back and change anything. I Mm. certainly would never change that moment Mm. because that gave me such a drive and so much more power for the rest of my career, mm-hmm. that if that didn't happen, I might not have. Really? It might have weakened me mentally. But instead, that built such a, a wall for it me. Hardened oh, it well. hardened me so much after that. I learned how to deal with everything, and that really helped me for the next few years. Like nothing could really affect me mm-hmm. like it did then. And um, and then from that moment on, I really I had sort of more respect for the riders around me. Um, And I had a steeliness that if I got beaten, it's like, hey, I got beaten that day. They were the better riders. They did a better job than me. There's nothing else I could have done. Um, I was only ever upset with myself, not really anybody else around me, Um, except some of the practice sessions when some of the riders are getting (laughs) your way. I'd always have a a bit to say about that. It's uh, it's not nice when you're doing nearly 300 k's an hour and someone's tickling along at 60 in the racing line. You don't really know where they're going to go. So, um, yeah, it's why I kind of, not say overreacted, why I reacted like I did. But um, I think that rivalry really just built me for the rest of the life. Like I said, I would never go back and change that moment. Mm. Um, Yeah, it's it's quite enjoyable, I suppose, now to go back and watch uh, all the fans just keep going on about that moment. That's the last moment they had. Mm. Um, From that moment on, it it was never going to happen again. Mm and um and I tried to make damn sure of it so um you know that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me in my career
0: everyone's got their own reasons you've just talked about why you ultimately you know stopped in in uh, at the end of your, t- your chapter there at Honda he's still going are you surprised by that
1: i am and i'm not um i'm not surprised he's he's continuing i'm surprised he's continuing with the effort that he's doing okay um i have no doubt he could be running at the front but i don't see the effort that's coming out i mean not only is he getting beaten by just about everyone else he's getting beaten by everyone else on the same bike uh and even lesser bikes so i would like to see him i don't know if he needs to take a different approach or or what it is um something Valentino's always kind of been clear on is that he won't push a bike that he's not happy with. Mm. I mean, he's, he's said that, you know, like, Oh, the bike's not doing what I want. I'm not going to push, you know, that was where him and I are different is that I'll always get the most out of the bike I can. And that's what helps us move further forward. Mm. Um, and I think he needs to, you know, he's got some quick kids that he's bringing up now. He really needs to start learning from those guys because they're starting to surpass him. And I don't believe he's too old. I still think he can run at the front. I still think he can be a competitor. Um, But I think he needs to do things a little bit differently. And, um, you know, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see more people at the front challenging Mark because at the moment,
0: no one's even close to giving Mark a run for his money. There is a selfish part of me that would love to have seen you regularly in October each year at the Bathurst 1000. You did dabble with with a supercar for a bit, which was cool. But it came off the back of, all of that stuff you were talking about, that immensely exhausting MotoGP schedule and stuff. Kind of, you know, in hindsight, was it a tough time to embark on a on a mission like that? Or was it, you know, how do you feel about that 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 little um, chapter you had there?
1: Believe it or not, I didn't actually want to race at all in 2013. I didn't want to do anything. I wanted to have the whole year off to myself, um, just do the testing program, um, drive some cars to get used to them, mm-hmm. And then do the, um, development series in, in 2014, so, yeah. but I was forced into doing it mm-hmm. in 2013. Um, I wasn't ready for it. I was, I was worn out. I was burnt out. Um, I had a very, very close friend of mine, James Strong, uh, passed away at the start of that year. Um,
0: and very influential on you, mate, wasn't he? We were talking about the former boss of Qantas and, you know, an enormously uh, successful business person, wasn't he? And he'd just taken over Viet
1: Supercars as well. So a big part of why I went there was because he had taken the, uh, the main role there. So um, him passing away, everybody just saw an opportunity to use me to help build the Viet Supercars, um, and it was quite frustrating to be honest um, we didn't get any time in the car before the first race in Adelaide which was straight onto a street circuit with other cars like I'd barely been on a track with other cars around me let alone on a street circuit on a track I'd never seen so it was all a little bit to take in to be honest and um, I would have liked to have done a little differently they televised the championship because I was in it and knocked back all the race laps so it was nearly half the amount of race laps that there were the the year before that people don't realise. And that's why there were so many crashes, there were so many safety cars and all that sort of thing. The the guys had no time to make moves through the field. Mm. So if you didn't qualify well, people knew that they should be further up, then everyone would just start trying to um, make up time because the race was a show short. Um, It just ended up a crash fest. So the whole year, I mean, I probably spent over half of it behind a safety car. And... um, yeah, that was rather frustrating. I made a couple of mistakes. I got driven into a few times. Um, yeah, things just didn't go our way. I was busy as hell on and off the track. Uh, it was just a very, very stressful year that I just wanted to get away from and, and couldn't, unfortunately. Once you sign the contract to go into it, it was um, that was us. We were, we were stuck. So um, I would have liked to have done things differently, but um, I met some really good people in that championship as well uh i enjoyed immensely watching um watching the main game play out from inside the garage and and watching how things were were done so um yeah it was really good but yeah i I needed that year off
0: there are some friends that have continued from that i you know i often see that you head out for a bit of go-karting and things like that you enjoy that stuff now i I suppose it's mates not super competitive but you still are all kind of competitive when you're doing it aren't Mm -hmm. you it's, it's strange. It's um it's competitive,
1: but it's not um, because everybody's out there training. It's like if you're all cycling together or if you're all mountain biking together or running or whatever, um, there's a slight bit of competitiveness, but at the same time, we're just there to do a job. They're all, you know, they're there throwing some laps down. Um, these KZ carts are, you know, they're tricky to drive and they keep you on your toes. So when you get back in a V8, I suppose everything feels a little slower and just... Um, Sort of almost slow motion. Um, so yeah, we were actually the ones who kind of started uh, the the go kart thing because I'd spent no time behind a wheel. Um, I needed as much time as I could, so we were getting out in the go kart every now and then to just get a bit of, of seat time. And I had two carts um, through Burrell because they'd sponsored me from from when I was over in MotoGP. Mm-hmm. And so um, people would come out and borrow my second cart, and we'd all I'd share them around with everyone. And then um, Michael Patrizzi, um, became the, 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 importer there. So, um, yeah, everybody ended up with a cart and, and they'd all go out. So I think they get out once every couple of months. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been out, God, in over a year now, probably. Yeah. Um, because chronic fatigue, I just, I don't have the energy to get out there anymore. So, uh, there was another one, I think this week or last week that I missed. I just, I don't have the energy to go out there and do that for the day. It'll, it'll put me on the couch for another week. So, um, yeah yeah, haven't, haven't done the things that I enjoy a lot these days. So it's been uh, a little frustrating.
0: Has that impacted on your other great loves, mate? I mean, you are a bit of an outback jack. I've always known that about you from fishing to, um, I can recall you being pretty handy as as an archer as well. Do you still get to do that or is the chronic fatigue impacting on that as well?
1: I haven't, uh, I haven't pulled a bow back in. Yeah, probably 10 months now, 10 months or more. Um, basically what happens is because with the chronic fatigue, I'm not able to keep myself fit and healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a problem where my ribs go out often. So they're connected to your vertebrae and everything like that. And my just, ribs it just pop. Yeah, they'll, they'll go out of place and that puts my back out of place. Mm-hmm. And I've already got leaking discs. So then that puts pressure on my disc. Then that will spray a little bit of liquid out and that puts pressure on your nerve and then you have a spasm and you know that's, that's a good week or so before you can properly start to put some weight on it again. So when I do archery, because I'd only just come back from a, a shoulder reconstruction, um, it wasn't fully established again. I haven't been able to do any any gym, any working out to to strengthen my body again. So when I was pulling it back, it was popping my ribs out. So I've had to stop doing all any and all archery just to keep my body a little bit more mm. um, in shape. So yeah, that between that, motorbikes, everything, first time i've been on a road based bike since january last year which was testing uh was only a couple of weeks ago when i was in the us on my birthday um for an alpine stars event we just did a little bit riding around with a few guys and um yeah we didn't push or anything but that took it out of me enough so um yeah it's been nearly a year and a half since been on a road bike and and a motorbike full stop over a year so
0: do you enjoy getting away for a bit of fishing and a a road trip somewhere and and, you know finding parts of australia that you perhaps haven't been to before
1: yeah well i I managed to do a um a bucket list trip last year which was after cape york so we got a lot of um good advice from darrell Beattie on where to go and and uh who to stop and some good contacts which made for one hell of a good trip. And, um, we took everything on the, on the motorbikes, our fishing rods, everything, tents, you name it. So we could be completely self-sustainable when we, when we were traveling, we didn't always stop in the roadhouses and things. And, um, and yeah, that was fantastic. So we did that last September. Uh, it was actually that trip that I knew something was starting to be wrong with me. I just couldn't recover each day and I was getting far too tired for what I normally would. Um, and that was just awesome. But since then, yeah, quite honestly, I've done nothing, um, so yeah, I've I don't think I've fished since then. Really? Um, yeah, I really haven't done anything. Um, so these last few months have been improving with um, some new medication I'm on, but I'm I'm still nowhere near training and getting out and doing things. Uh, otherwise, it just puts me um, puts me on the couch for a good week or so, or at least four or five days, and that um, that makes it hard on the wife. So. I'd rather uh, take it a little easier and
0: make sure I'm there for him. You're a real family guy. I've always known that about you. Hey, on that basis, thank you for talking to us. Get get on top of that. I'm sure there's lots of work in, in, you know, analysing it and, and getting to the bottom of it. I hope you do. And congratulations on an amazing career, mate, to watch this tenacious i know you sound like you've beaten yourself up a bit at times with with your performance you know at various points but be proud mate i mean to have come through all of that and to have achieved what you have is is remarkable and people still talk about it today it is in the same way that that wayne and and mick uh did your contribution is is an inspiration to the next lot coming through so well done thank you very much mate Rusty's Garage is written and presented by me, Greg Rust. Series producer and editor is Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.